Welcome to Newer Church with Corey Turner. We pray you encounter God and become more like Jesus through this message. To find out more, visit us at numa.church. Why don't you go with me to 1 Corinthians 4 verse 20. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 20. I want to read one verse to you and uh, then we are going to uh, uh, open several passages of scripture together um, and unpack some encounters that Jesus had with sick people in the Gospels. In 1 Corinthians 4.20, it says this, For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk or word, but in power. The kingdom of God does not consist in logos only, is the Greek, but in dunamis, dynamic, dynamite, power. And so today I want to speak to you on the subject, the key to your healing. The key to your healing. Now, back in 2021, I received a number of phone calls from my dad's neighbor uh, to tell me on my day off, to tell me that my dad had had an acute stroke and had been rushed to hospital and I needed to get there quickly. And so I got to the hospital and when I walked into the ICU, <clears throat> and I've shared this story before, but when my, uh, I saw my dad there in ICU, um, he was immobilized down the left side of his body. He couldn't communicate, couldn't articulate. And 20 years before, I'd actually witnessed my dad have an acute stroke, and I saw that and, and the significance of that event in his life, and so I knew that this was really serious. Now, because uh, I, I'm a man of faith, I believe that Jesus still heals sick people today, and I, and I preach it, and Henry Snow, if you preach it, you've got to practice it. And so we're there in the hospital ward, and doctors and nurses attending to him, and I just simply laid a hand upon his head and, and prayed a simple prayer in Jesus' name for him to be healed. And nothing happened. How many of us know sometimes you're believing, expecting, and, and, and you put yourself out there and you risk it for the biscuit and then it doesn't necessarily happen as you think, or so I thought. So after I prayed, nothing seemed to happen, but then he was taken immediately in to get another scan and little did I know that while he was in the scan, literally his body completely healed. He sat upright on the bed as the doctor was doing the scan, begins to wave his immobilized arm around and speaks clearly and fluently to the doctor, gave the doctor the shock of his life, right? Because this is not supposed to happen, okay? And so then they wheel him back in and they've literally, their faces are white and they're like, I can't explain it, but he just sat upright in the scan, in the test. And so uh, uh, they came and did all the scans and all the tests and had been completely healed. All strength had returned to his body and he got up and began to walk around. They kept him for a few days for observation. But right there and then, I began to see that the gap between what we believe and what we experience is to be one and the same. Unfortunately, too many Christians have stopped expecting God to move miraculously in their lives. And there are all sorts of reasons for that. One of those reasons is disappointment. Yeah. You believed, you prayed, it didn't happen, and there was a mystery about that. And instead of still contending and believing in faith, you stepped back and you doubted, and now you don't put yourself out there because you don't want to be disappointed. Um, another reason why people step back from believing for the miraculous is because of false teaching. 
Maybe you've read a book or you've come from a conservative church environment where they never taught on healing or they never taught on the gifts of the Spirit or moving in the power of the Spirit or the relevance of being Spirit-filled today. And so you don't have a paradigm or a theology. The way you think and talk about God does not include the miraculous in your life. And yet you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And it's for a lack of knowledge, revelation knowledge in the Word of God. The Bible says my people suffer. But the moment that you get taught rightly and see experientially the power of the Spirit in action, you begin to come into a renewal of your mindset and thinking about the kingdom and about how God's Word works. For others, one of the reasons why they've stepped back from believing for the miraculous is because of a materialistic worldview. That matter, what they can see and what is in their hands is only what this world is about. They have no concept, understanding of the unseen realm, let alone the supernatural power of God. And it's the same with rationalism or uh, reason and logic. If I can't understand it, therefore it is not real. It's what fuels humanism, the, the belief, the philosophy that we are the solution to our own problems. And clearly, if you just have to look at the news, that's not going well for us. Um, so these are things, as well as some people who may genuinely believe have never seen a miracle. And so if you've never seen it, then you don't have a sort of worldview or context or history to borrow or draw from. And so if you don't have a, a miracle story or testimony, I'd encourage you to borrow somebody else's. It happens all the time. We're going to read in these encounters in a moment where people had heard reports and they borrowed somebody else's testimony and report and went to Jesus and got their own miracle. And so it's really important that we understand, unfortunately, as many believers step back from the miraculous, um, what can often happen is we live too far below our authority in Christ and we don't access the power of our inheritance. But God's given you an inheritance, not just to acknowledge from a distance, but to access, to actually live in the reality of it. And so what happens when our expectations don't measure up to our beliefs, we can retreat into what I call practical atheism. Where we confess Jesus with our lips, but we deny him with our lifestyle. We believe it in our heads, but when the sickness and issue and diagnosis is presented, we don't actually believe it. It's called practical atheism. It's called being an unbelieving believer. Why is it that we can believe under God for our salvation, but we can't believe under God for our healing? Or believe under God for our breakthrough in our business or whatever it may be. Uh, it's practical atheism. God deliver us from being unbelieving believers. And Paul comes and has a revelation in 1 Corinthians 4.20. The kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God does not consist in logos talk or word, but in a demonstration of the spirit and of power. Dunamis. In other words, we must move beyond being professional explainers of the gospel to becoming practical demonstrators of the gospel. What we hear, we've got to do. We've got to put into action. Jesus made following him very accessible. Christianity is not just a professional explanation theory. It's a practical lifestyle that is supposed to be embraced every day of our lives. And Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 2.4, I didn't come proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or with human wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and of power 
that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. As a preacher and a teacher, a communicator, a spiritual father in this house, I'm going to be so careful that I don't tie you to my wisdom, but I connect your faith to the power and wisdom of God. In fact, that's how cults develop, is that they tie people in that organization, that people group, to themselves rather than to Jesus. We're not trying to connect you to, to me or to how, what I think. We're trying to connect you to Jesus. Jesus said, follow me. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So we're to be examples. We're to uh, be, be uh, representatives of who Christ is. Absolutely. And there's accountability for that. There's a responsibility that comes with that. But at the end of the day, we are to lead you to the river of living water. We're to lead you to Jesus himself and for you to be able to drink and to equip you for the call of God that is upon your life. And so in the Gospels, we actually encounter four different kinds of faith. And we see that these uh, different measures of faith are for healing in the ministry of Jesus. And what we want to do is we want to take you on a little bit of a journey to look at what are these four measures or four kinds of faith for healing. We're talking about the key to your healing. The first kind of faith is if you can faith. This is weak faith, but nevertheless, it's faith. If you can faith. Go with me to Mark chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 17 to 29. Mark 9, 17 to 29. Can I encourage everyone to bring their Bibles to church too? Just wave your Bible at me. Awesome. You know what I love about our church? We're one of the few, I can honestly say this, mega churches that actually bring our Bibles to church. Now, if it's on your phone, that's all cool. But I encourage you, get an old-fashioned Bible. Get a, get a paperback baby, leather-bound, read it, highlight it, bring it, praise God for all, all that God's doing in other churches. I just think, let's be people of the Word. Fall in love with old school. No school like the old school, all right? Mark chapter 9, verse 17 to 29, and it says, And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. And he foams and he grinds his teeth and he becomes rigid. So I asked you disciples, your disciples, to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when, they, when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and he rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And he has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And what did Jesus' response to him? He said, if you can, hello somebody, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. Amazing story. A desperate father brings his tormented son to Jesus, disciples, to heal him 
but they could not. This is so important. When the world comes knocking on our door, we've got to have more than a reason for our hope. We actually have to have oil in the lamp. We've got to have something to give away. The disciples spent time in the presence of Jesus, and yet they hadn't grown or matured in carrying the anointing, the presence of God, to the point that they could minister to this stronghold of a situation in this young boy's life. Recently, um, we launched uh, Numa Perth West, and after the revival service at night, we saw lots of people being healed, and, and God was moving powerfully. I myself was quite unwell at the time, and whilst I got some people to pray for me and was believing for my own healing, I thought, you know what, I'm going to do everything in the natural as well to help myself. How does no wisdom isn't just, you know, knocking back natural medicine when it's available to heal you, but wisdom is saying, yep, I believe, thank you, Jesus, but I'm also going to avail myself of natural means and, and, and that which has been developed through, you know, the, the, the wisdom that God has given to man to actually help me get better. And so I got the, uh, Pastor Steve to take us to the pharmacy, literally five minutes after the revival service. And I walked into the pharmacy, walked up to the counter, and I looked to my left, and there was a man there who looked me up and down, and out of his mouth came these words, I've only got six months to live. And I'm like, well, that's confronting. Then I'm like, well, it doesn't get any easier than that. He's like, have you ever played sport or basketball? It's like, that's an easy layup, right? It's like, you know, you're just cherry picking. This is getting too easy, God, all right? And, and I was sort of shocked, startled, but also knew what needed to happen. And so I said to him, sir, what, what has happened to you? He said, I've got stage four bowel cancer. I've only got six months to live. And he just left it at that. And I said, hey, do you believe in Jesus? And he goes, well, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. And I said, well, right about now would be a really good time. <laughs> Both for your eternity, but also, I believe, that faith in Jesus can heal your sick body. And I said, I've just come from a service where we've seen sick people be healed and, and uh, pain go in people's backs and migraines. We've had 10 cancer patients at our church completely healed, confirmed with scans. I believe the Lord can heal you. Would you be okay if I pray with you? So right there as the pharmacist is coming up and then backs away very quickly, uh, I'm laying hands and just simple a faith-filled prayer and the presence of God begins to manifest in his body, lead him to the Lord. And then I said, hey, you need to get to uh, Numa Church or a church that's close to you. I don't know the outcome of that encounter. All I know is when the world's needs and brokenness comes knocking at our door, we better have some oil in the lamp. We better have something to give away. People are so desperate. They're so hopeless in, in, in uh, the strategies and solutions of humanity have failed them. They need to know that in this hour that there is a person called Jesus Christ that can minister to their specific need that they're facing in their life. It's interesting um, that weak faith is as such often because of the seriousness and longevity of the condition that we're facing. When you've been facing a condition or a situation for a long time, it's like our, our strong faith can become weak faith, can even turn into doubt. But it's interesting to note that this father was honest. He didn't pretend to be full of faith. He said, I believe, but help my unbelief. Have you ever been there? I've been there. Lord, I believe, 
but I've got some unbelief in there. There's some doubt. Would you help my unbelief? I want to tell you, God is not afraid or intimidated by your honesty. He loves an honest lament. When you come and say, God, I believe, but I'm not sure I believe. He knows exactly what you're talking about. And, and so Jesus didn't rebuke the father's weak faith, but he acknowledged the persistence of the father's faith. That even when the father didn't get the healing for his boy the first time with the disciples, he persisted and said, Jesus, can you do something? If you can, could you help? And Jesus responds, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. I remember one time uh, being at the gym and the personal trainer hurt his arm training someone, was in a sling, and he knew I was a Christian and a spiritual leader, and he walks up, and, and he sort of, we're talking about his injury, and he leans in, looks around, and whispers and says, do you think you could do your thing for my arm? <laughs> and I'm like, you want me to do my thing? <laughs> He's like, yeah, you know, your thing, the thing, can, can you do something for my arm? And it was like this, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And I didn't rebuke him for his weak faith. He wasn't even a Christian, but he had faith to believe that God could heal his arm. And we just prayed for him. And in Jesus' name, we just released healing. And he began to move it around. He took the sling off. He got totally healed right there in that moment, simply because of weak faith. If you're not sure whether God can heal you today, Jesus' answer to you is all things are possible. For one who believes. The second measure of faith is if you are willing faith. This is not weak faith, but this is some increased measure of faith. It's some faith. Now go with me to Mark chapter 1, verse 40. Mark 1, verse 40. Because here we're going to encounter the leper <coughs> that Jesus cleanses. And in verse 40 it says, And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, if you will, or if you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with uh, pity, another translation says, moved with compassion. He stretched out his hand, Jesus did, and touched him and said to him, I will, or I am willing, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Now you need to understand to be a leper in Jesus' day was to be an outcast because you were unclean. And so the law was very strict in its application and restriction when it came to socialising, entering the temple, being able to do certain things. So this man was living alone. He was living as an outcast. He was marginalised. He was disadvantaged because of his health and his skin condition. And this leper falls at Jesus' feet, begging to uh, Jesus to heal him because he has heard the testimony of what Jesus has done in other people's lives. Can I tell you today, never underestimate the power of your testimony to actually be like a magnet to draw people to the presence of Jesus. And I meet a lot of believers who say, well, I don't have that person's testimony and I don't have that story. But, that, but every single believer in this room does have a testimony and you do have a God story. And it's helpful to actually think through what your God story is, but also to understand that 
you have an inheritance of testimonies in the Word of God that you can draw from and you can grow in faith from as well as those of your brothers and sisters. And that's why we keep sharing stories and testimonies of healing and breakthrough in people's lives because we want people's faith to grow and be built to understand that Jesus still heals today. Jesus still saves today. Jesus still prophesies today. Jesus still sets people free from demonic strongholds today. And as you come into agreement with that testimony, you begin to believe for your own breakthrough. I remember uh, hearing the story of a lady who jumped into an Uber car to go to a doctor's appointment and she jumped in, or didn't jump in, she sort of casually got in with a walking cane. She couldn't really walk too well or, or, or run and she had the walking cane and was explaining her condition to the Uber driver who happened to attend our church. And uh, he said, hey, um, you ought to get to Numa Church because people are getting healed there. And in fact, there's a prayer meeting right now. Um, you, you should think about going. She said, okay, before I go to the doctor, why don't you take me to Numa Church and, uh, and I'll try this thing out. And so she comes, she may be here today. And so she walks into the auditorium over here and our team descend on her like a pack of wolves. All right, because we've taught and built a culture that when someone is unwell or, or, or is wanting prayer, let's stand in faith with them. Let's believe for their healing. And they began to pray to the point she got healed through the cane. I saw the cane just fly across. Thankfully, Oc Health and Safety didn't hit anyone, but it flew across the auditorium. And once again, we were amazed at what God was doing. She wasn't even a Christian yet, but got healed in that moment because she had faith enough to actually change her normal course of living and come to a prayer meeting where the presence of Jesus was. Now, she came back with her partner on the Sunday and both of them got saved, right, after the healing. And then that afternoon, uh, my EA and I, Kai and I at the time, we're going across the road and here she was in our workout gear, bounding down the road, literally running with the biggest smile on her face saying, see you at church tonight, pastor. And right there again, you're reminded because of one Uber driver's testimony and simple invitation, you don't know whether someone is ready one, to, to come to church. Two, to receive salvation. Three, to reach out and be healed. And often we're saying people's no for them. Just share the story. Just share the testimony and watch what God does. And so this leper expressed no doubt about Jesus' ability to heal, but he questioned Jesus' willingness to heal him. And that's for some of us in this room today, that's where we're at. We have no doubt that Jesus can heal. We're just not sure that he wants to heal us. We're not sure that he is willing to heal us. And people with some faith believe Jesus can heal. And we often applaud somebody else's faith, but we step back and we retreat into some faith because we actually don't, are not sure that Jesus actually has every intention of his goodness healing us. Jesus responds immediately, both to the leper and to us, and he answers, I am willing. Jesus did not rebuke his faith. All right, so many Christians have misrepresented Jesus by rebuking people's weak faith or some faith. No, no, Jesus reaffirmed it and says, I am willing, be clean. What does Mark 16, 15 say? These signs will follow those who believe. They will lay hands on the sick 
and they will recover. So if you're not sure if it's God's will for you to be healed, Jesus' answer to you today is, I am willing. He's a good God. He's a faithful God. God is not the author of pain and sickness in your life. Please do not attach to Jesus what comes from your adversary, your enemy. Because that's a misunderstanding of God's nature. Can God use pain and use contradiction and use sickness in our life to draw us closer to Him? Yes, but He doesn't send it to do that. He would be an abusive father. That's not what He does. He is willing to heal and He's willing to heal you. You've got to taste and see that He's good. That's why so many believers are bitter because they're tasting of the wrong God. They're tasting of a God that has been created by someone's disappointment and bitterness rather than the God of the Word. I said, that's a word that'll set someone free in this room today. All right? So there's weak faith. There's some faith. The third measure of faith is if I can only touch him, faith. This is great faith. This is the woman with the issue of blood. Let's go to Mark chapter 5. Is this helping anybody today? Mark chapter 5, verse 24. Mark 5, verse 24. The Bible says that a great crowd followed him, that's Jesus, and thronged about him. Isn't that a great word, thronged? There was a lot of thronging happening around Jesus. And so, and and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. That's not good. And who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. And she'd heard the reports about Jesus, so there again a testimony, and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garments. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up. She felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. And the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Listen to this. And he said to her, daughter, so he shares the father's heart, daughter, your faith, everybody say your faith, has made you well. Go, you don't need to say the second bit, but I really appreciate that vote of confidence. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. How many of us know, like the leper, this woman was a social outcast? She'd been bleeding for 12 years. She'd spent all of her money, so now she's broke. She's been to all the naturopaths, all the doctors, all the people that could help, and she hasn't been able to recover or be healed. Imagine any loss of blood, there is a loss of energy. Uh, and so for 12 years, she's very little energy. So just to even press through the crowd and say, I'm going to touch his garment, took massive faith, massive energy for her to be able to do that. She decided that even though she was, she was a social outcast, she was going to break all the religious rules because she wasn't allowed to be there, not allowed in the temple, definitely not allowed to approach the rabbi, let alone anybody else. She's unclean. She should be outside the camp. But she decided she was even going to risk being stoned to death according to the law because she had great faith that if I just touch his garment, I will be made well. She pushed her way through the crowd 
and she got her breakthrough. A victim mentality is passive. It waits for breakthrough. But active faith pushes through the crowd and contends for their breakthrough. I remember years ago being at a conference before the guest preacher opened up the altars. I literally, I was on the floor of this big stadium. I literally stood to my feet and just waited for the altar call. I got into that starter block position. I'm just like, as soon as that altar call comes, I'm gone. I'm done. That's it. I wanted what that dude was talking about. I'm like, I need my breakthrough. Let me tell you, if you're desperate enough, you'll be willing to do anything and you won't worry about what anyone else thinks. We need the fear of man broken off of us if we're going to get our breakthrough. And so as soon as he opened up the altar, I was off and sprinting down that aisle. It was a sight to behold. And I pushed my way through the crowd. And unfortunately, I pushed some people out that had to go back and apologize. But I wanted to get where I needed to be to get my healing and my breakthrough. Sometimes there is a season and a time to wait upon the Lord. Other times you need to push through for your breakthrough. And it's interesting that this woman persisted even though Jesus had another ministry assignment to attend to. He was focused on another person in another place, in another region. She's like, well, I'm going where Jesus is going and I'm gonna get my healing and my breakthrough. And as soon as she touched his garment, the anointing, which was tangible in Jesus' body, left his body and immediately the flow of blood dried up and she could feel she was healed instantly. I wanna tell you the anointing of God's spirit is tangible. You can feel it. Christianity is multi-sensory. I mean, there are seasons where you cannot rely upon your human feelings to be able to interpret or engage with the presence of God. But don't let anyone tell you that, that you know, it's all just in your head and you can't actually feel His presence. I mean, we were just in worship even now. Henry Snow, the presence of God is in this room right now. Jesus, the teacher, the Spirit of God and the prophet is in the room to minister into your life today. In worship, we felt the presence of God. Christianity is multi-sensory. The anointing is tangible. You can sense it and you can feel it and it may not feel it all the time. And so you trust in faith. God's word is true regardless of what I feel. But there's a moment you step into sometimes where the presence of God manifests and begins to move, and we become more aware that He is here. That's what happened in this woman's body. It wasn't need alone that moved Jesus to heal her. It was faith. I remember uh, a father just recently telling me over dinner about how years ago when I was ministering here as an itinerant, came down with tears in his eyes, believing in faith for healing for his daughter who'd just been diagnosed with a cancerous tumour in the brain and he brought a jacket down and he asked for me to pray over the jacket and to anoint it with oil and and we stood in agreement. He had great faith to believe that just an anointing on a jacket could heal his daughter and so he took his jacket to his daughter. She didn't even put it on. She just touched it, went back to the hospital, got an MRI. The cancerous tumour in her brain was gone. It had disappeared. It had left. Why? Because the father didn't just respond because of a need. He had great faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that not only does he exist, but he rewards those who diligently seek him. 
God is a rewarder of the diligent seeker. He says, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. So if you're confident that just one touch of his anointing can heal you and bring breakthrough into your life, push through the obstacles. Push through the crowd. Lay hold of that garment of the anointing and believe for your healing. The last measure of faith, we've seen weak faith. <coughs> what next have we seen? Some faith. We've seen great faith. Now, let's look at I can't, but he can faith. What's that? That's unashamed faith. Unashamed faith. Let's go to Mark chapter 10, and we're going to look at blind Bartimaeus. Mark 10, verse 46 and the Bible says, and they came to Jericho, that's Jesus and the disciples. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, when he heard, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. What's he declaring? He's declaring, Jesus, you're the Messiah. I can't, but I know you can. He knew enough about the Messiah and enough about Jesus to join the dots and believe that Jesus could heal his body. And the Bible says, and many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. And he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. Now they've changed their tune. Oh, Jesus looking your way now. Yeah, why don't you come? And and throwing off his cloak, which was his only possession, it was what his um, begging and what his uh, condition was marked by, characterized by, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? How many of you know, if Jesus asks you that question, what do you want me to do for you? Be careful how you answer it. That question may not come again. And so, you know, King Solomon asked, asked God, you know, or God, should I say, asking Solomon, what do you want me to do for you? Be careful how you answer that. And here is blind Bartimaeus, and you would think, well, isn't it obvious? But actually, it's an invitation to get specific in your petitions. What do you want God to do for you? We live so much in the wilderness, we don't know what it is to steward the promised land. What do you want God to do for you today? What are you believing for in your body, in your family, and in your life? And so the Bible goes on and it says, and the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith, there it is again, has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and he followed Jesus on the way. Just to make a note of that, a lot of people get their breakthrough and their healing and they stop following Jesus. They get the breakthrough in their business and they're like, oh, it's all sweet now, it's all cool. And they're not as engaged in church life that their devotional life goes missing in action. Hey, let's be people that when we get our breakthrough and when God moves, we're still following him. This guy just jumped in line and said, I'm following him. Here's Bartimaeus. His condition, his eye impairment has left him a beggar. Again, he's marginalized. He's outcast to the point that bystanders could feel confident and comfortable to tell him to be quiet, to hush up when he's making a scene. 
and he's crying out. His only possession is his cloak. He throws off his cloak because he has heard testimonies and reports about Jesus and he begins to shout, Son of David, Messiah, have mercy on me. In other words, he was declaring, I can't, but he can. His faith in Jesus was unashamed, even when the crowd around him told him to be quiet. Now, I want to say this. When you start to get desperate and hungry for Jesus, not everyone around you is going to be happy about that. There are going to be some loved ones that are going to be like, settle down. I said last Sunday night at revival service that uh, last Sunday morning, I had a pastor from another place uh, come and say to me, now, you aren't getting too carried away about all this revival stuff, are you? And it was like a red rag to a bull, you know, and I restrained myself and just blessed him in my heart. And, and <laughs> because not everyone has the same desperation and revelation you have. When God speaks to you, when God puts a passion, a desire for breakthrough in your life, don't expect everyone to come into agreement with you. Sometimes God speaks to us and we go to 10 different people to ask their opinion. And when they don't give the opinion that God's given to you, you get all confused and you wonder why what's going on. God didn't ask you to go to 10 people and ask for their opinion. I'm speaking truth right now. God, is there a place for godly counsel? Yes. Is there a place to go and have mature believers, men and women of God, speak into your life and situation? Absolutely. But I've gone and asked several people about things God's asked me to do at times. I got more confused than a termite and a yo-yo when what I actually needed to do was stop, be still, know that He is God. He's asked me to do something and I don't need everyone to agree with it in order for me to go after Jesus. You will get yourself really confused about the word of the Lord in your life if you have to have the crowd affirm God's word. But if you are willing, maybe a trusted uh, uh, person in the Lord or a trusted life group leader or someone that you know, hey, just like you to pray into this. The Bible says test and weigh the prophetic word. That's good. But if you're second guessing what God is saying over and over again and people around you are saying, hush up, don't get too carried away in this revival thing. No, the devil is a liar. You need to love people and honour them, but you need to say, son of David, have mercy on me. I want my miracle. Is this helping anyone today? What does Romans 1.16 say? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Unashamed faith is not backward in coming forward. Unashamed faith says, okay, what do you want me to do for you? All right, I'm believing for this. I'm contending for this. You know, um, Olaf is a member of our congregation. He had no optic nerve in one of his eyes and he had three surgeries to try and correct it. Literally, it was not attached. And so it's there in his head, supported by tissue, etc. But he could not see out of it. And uh, we prayed for him and uh, just in one of the prayer lines and a few days later in Chinatown, his left eye opens. God did a creative miracle. He was blind, but now he began to see. And, he, and because he hadn't had his eyesight, he lost depth perception for a moment and he's sort of stumbling all over the place, but he was totally healed and restored. I wanna tell you, God is still in the business of opening blind eyes. Yeah. Yeah. He's still in the business of healing cancer. 
He's still in the business of, of, of seeing people paralyzed and stroke victims come into a place of healing and reconciliation. You know, 100% of the sick people that Jesus ministered to in these four encounters, they all got healed. But notice, first person had weak faith. Next person had some faith. The next person had great faith. And blind Bartimaeus, he had unashamed faith. So the issue is not necessarily about the measure of your faith. What is the common denominator between whether you've got weak faith, some faith, great faith, or unashamed faith? The answer in all of these scenarios is persistent faith. They were persistent about bringing their need to the presence of Jesus until they got their breakthrough. Whatever measure of faith you have, God affirms it. And he invites you into a greater dimension. He invites you higher. But whatever measure of faith you have, it's your proximity to God's presence that is the key to your healing. The key to your healing is not just about the measure you have because Jesus said all you need is a mustard seed. It's about your persistent pursuit of his presence with whatever measure you have. John Wimber, the great apostle of the vineyard movement, prayed for 1,000 sick people to be healed before he recorded the first miracle. 1,000 people. How many people does it get you that weren't healed to deter you from believing in faith? My theory is the more sick people you pray for, the more chance you've got of someone getting healed. So people pray one time, they tithe one time, they read the Bible one time, they go to church one time, they go to life group one time. Nah, it doesn't work for me. Are you serious? What on earth in the world do you try one time and go, it doesn't work for you? No, in life, we learn, if, if, if a little infant, you know, try, or toddler tries to walk and stumbles one time, we say, good effort, son, good try, but you tried once, you didn't make it, and so you're not going to walk again. Yeah, that's stupid. Hickey, that's stupid. Love you, that's stupid. But we don't say that. We say, get back up, try again, and then the kid cries, and you're like, oh, you'll be fine. We do that in the natural. Why can't we do that in the supernatural? Well, if you can believe unto your salvation, you can believe unto your healing. But you've got to persist. You've got to persist. You've got to persist. Faith is the foundation but persistently throwing yourself at the presence of Jesus and crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. That's the key. Never allow your sickness to become bigger than your Saviour. Some of us, our problem is greater than the promise. And we're intimidated. We're almost looking at the problem like it's Mount Everest and we're looking up at it. You need to understand God created Mount Everest. He didn't create your sickness or your problem, but he created Mount Everest. He's looking down on it. Your problem does not intimidate him. Your financial situation is like not scratching his head. Go get the angel with, you know, the bank accounts and let's work out whether we can help this brother out. (laughs) No, nothing intimidates him. That's why our minds need to be renewed to think like Jesus. We have the mind of Christ. 
So as we come into renewal of his word and his mind, when we face a problem, a diagnosis, a sickness and a situation, and I can speak from experience because not only have I had to work through and gain healing in my own life, but I've journeyed with my mother over 25 years before she passed away and had to stand in the gap at moments where she could have lost her life many years before, but we saw God come through, come through, come through over again. It's your persistent faith. Thank you for listening to Numa Church with Corey Turner. Please visit our website, numa.church, and follow us on our social media platforms.